Welcome, our fellow lovers of love, and thank you for joining us on yet another excursion through the stream of consciousness down the river of tranquility to fill the lake of life with love. Dan, thank you for joining us tonight. And we actually, we hope the microphone is actually working because guess what? Who didn't do a sound check tonight? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. And we may or may not, it looks to have cleared up, so who knows, be a little green today. I don't know. I was having trouble getting it dialed in, but it looks actually pretty good at the moment, doesn't it? Yeah, we look good. Okay. That's interesting. I've been just fighting with that for the last 20 minutes, and now all of a sudden it looks fine. So anyway, that's it. That's an interesting uh, development there, I suppose, is one way to put it. Let me get this. See, like I said, I've been fighting with lighting and stuff all afternoon, and so we're not quite dialed in with the new studio and the new service, and I'm going to have to redo these green screens now that I know how it works. But anyway, that's not what's on tap tonight. What's on tap tonight is Saturday Night Questions. We have to come up with a new name for that. But anyway, it's Saturday night, and so it's tonight's night. We ask, we we answer questions. So if you would like to send us a question, you can always go to latenightlove.us, click the contact button, give us a and send us a comment that way. You can send us a love letter at love. <laughs> I do call them love letters. I'm just gonna they're just love letters now. Send us a love letter at love at latenightlove.us. <laughs> love to hear from you. <laughs> and we'll answer it, and you can always contact us on our various social media outlets and it's a it's a pretty much a family night but the first two questions aren't connected to family so we're going to hit the first two questions first and then we'll kind of dive in and talk about family but you know speaking of family you know our small little um pet (laughs) our pet my kitten our Our new kitten kitten he is a little rambunctious isn't he we're gonna have to start taking pictures and stuff and Video We're going to have to do a video. He's Ghost Cracker Kitty. Yeah, he's he's a, he's a little, yeah. He, well, you know, like most kittens, they bounce all around of the house. and But they keep you up at night, just like a baby. He doesn't keep me up at night. He sleeps very nicely next to me. Yeah, until I go to bed. And then he's awake. Because I go to bed at 2, right as the nocturnal animals get up and go and play. And so I'm play toy for him when I come to bed. Lucky you. Lucky me. Anyways, but that's all right. You'll you'll grow quickly out of that. They're cats. They grow out of that relatively quickly and become buff. I play with him all the time. Yeah, no, it's just that's the way kittens are. They're like little toddlers. You know, they're on and off. (laughs) They're either on and full board, completely gone, or they're just, you know. They're passed out. Passed out and sleeping and have... You know, you can pick them up and it's like dead weight. So it, it is what it is. All right. So what do we got first? Why do, why do quote, normal people expect bipolar people to be and act normal? That's an interesting question. Um, as our, my lovey here is, is bipolar. She can't, it's hard to answer that question though, isn't it for you? It's That's hard for me to answer. Yeah. Um, Usually, I haven't had a lot of people expect me to act normal. I've been very lucky. People have been, but I'm very open about, I talk about my feelings for that day. I try not to overburden people. I don't go and tell my whole life history. 
but like when I was going to the zoo today, we were while we were going to the store with my middle daughter, and I said, I'm feeling a little fragile today. Can we take this slow? And we did. So it just doesn't seem to be a big deal. Well, I think part of that is most people think you're normal. And most people don't probably don't understand what bipolar is. So once someone understands what it is, and it's just this massive kind of mood swings, and you know, once you're in kind of control of it and you understand it, you're bipolar, it makes it other, you know, your expectations, other people know what to expect from you. you you've kind of been able to communicate those needs back and forth. And so in a you know, caring, loving relationship of any kind, daughter, spouse, friend, you know, it's, it's a different relationship than the person you pass off in the grocery store or maybe your, your coworker. Now, maybe your coworker should be more compassionate and empathetic, but you know, sometimes it's hard for coworkers and bosses and whatnot to, to do that. Yes, I've had some intolerant bosses. And so there is that side of the, of the equation that we always have to consider. You know, but it, I've it, had some very caring bosses too. So, I mean, it's a real mixed bag. Yeah, it's, you know, it's like anything. You know, the, the world is a wonderfully and frustratingly diverse, diverse place, right? We, we get all kinds because we get all kinds and there's just no way around it. It manifests itself how it's going to manifest itself in all walks of life. Why is this giving me a problem today? <laughs> Everything's just falling apart today. Screws come loose all the time. For those of you, yeah, screws fall out all the time. For the you know Breakfast Club members of our audience. Yes, they do. <laughs> screws fall out all the time. They just happen to fall out on me today. Anyway, so why do people expect it? Because we're all human and flawed. Once you explain to them... Once they can understand what you have, what's happening, most people are quite compassionate, and empathetic, and sympathetic, and will accommodate you as best they can. And somewhat, it's just the way the world is. Yeah, but if, for me, I think about more about the ones that do than about the ones that don't. Yeah. Yeah, I, the ones that stick out are the ones that are compassionate. Yeah. Well, because you know. Why worry about the ones that don't when you have ones that do? Focus on those. Those are the people who you want to spend time with anyway. Okay. So what's next? A lot of my employees are resigning. Is it legal for me to put an employment bond to my existing and new employees so that it will be too difficult for them to resign? Dude, why don't you figure out why your people are leaving? Yeah, I mean, instead of trying to figure out a ways to force them to stay, which, no, you can't do, I mean, there are theoretically things you can put into an employment contract that make it difficult for people to leave. You know, people actually do it all the time. Retirement, healthcare, all these kind of benefits. They're actually chains. Right? They're chains to keep you chained to a job. They make it hard for you to move. And so you can actually do lots of things that make it difficult for people to move. But the question is, if you are having a lot of people resigning, something is wrong. There's something fundamentally wrong in what you're doing, what your businesses is, your business practices, your ethics, your behavior, your humanity, you know, maybe you should go to some leadership classes. Take some leadership classes and, and try to understand, that, hey, what's, what's really happening? Maybe hire a consultant to come in and tell you, you know, because 
sometimes bosses can get isolated. People that you surround yourself with people who are yes men and won't tell you what's the truth. So maybe you need to go out and hire a consultant to do that. But something that this is a signal that something wrong. This is a symptom of a problem. It's not a problem in itself. Right? A mastery of resignations is a symptom of a problem. It's not the problem. You know, I'm sticking a band-aid on it doesn't actually solve the problem. And it's probably going to make it worse. Because who the hell is going to want to work for you? So you're only going to get the desperate. Is that really? You know, it's just think about the culture you're trying to build. Think about the culture. You know, this is essentially an extended family. You know, a, a good business is run like an extended family as much as it can be. You know, where you care about your, your workers and the workers care about you and you give to each other. That's how leadership and that's how, you know, these things work. It's one of the things that politics has taught me. You know, leadership is a is an art, not a science. But you can learn. Okay. So what's next? Someone threatened to report me to CPS because she heard my child screaming. The screaming was just her having a tantrum. How do I prevent her from making a report? You don't, but in the, if you don't have anything to worry about, you don't have anything to worry about. There's nothing you can do. Tell really. her to call, nosy Nate. Yeah, there's nothing you can do. Um, it's, it's CPS is highly annoying when, when they're, un, I, I understand, but there's nothing you can do and, you know, just let it go, essentially. You know, in a sense, maybe you should think of it as, hey, at least someone cares about your child enough to think of it and maybe something's wrong at least you know you're not being ignored as a human being even if they're wrong you know the way they go about it might not be wrong because cps is not a solution to oftentimes right it's only a solution to the very worst cases so unless it's a very worst case cps is not generally a solution but you know at least people are concerned that's something. Obviously, this person has never had children because children have tantrums. Yeah, or this somebody who's, we also, the world today is so used to living in fear. We're so used to, you know, the worst thing being realist, real and realistic that it's kind of understandable in a sense today. But so many people have gotten used to living in fear and that they hear something that sounds strange. You know? And some of these kids can throw, you know, trust me, I've raised four, four or five kids, right? We've raised, between us, we've raised a fun ton of kids. We have eight children <laughs> between us. And so kids some, sometimes make these blood, blood-curdling screeches. Oh, my God, they do, and, right? And all they're doing is just throwing a tantrum. You know, they're, they're, nothing's happening. What's going on? You think that they were having their arm ripped off or something. And so you can understand that someone might be concerned. You can actually kind of understand it at times. And so, you know, just try not to take it too personal. So I would say, because you're going to end up carrying it around with you. And there's nothing you can really do except, you know, be the good parent you are and not worry too much about it. Okay. Do criminals actually confess over police interrogation? 
Well, they must because they put a lot of effort into it. Well, I'm going to slide into my political side just for a second. Not only do people, do criminals confess under investigation, innocent people confess under investigations. It's, it just happens all the time. Innocent people confess. And a lot of times, you know, they're not maybe the swiftest people on the planet. And you get stuck in an interrogation with, with you know, police for hours on end. They don't think that they can say, I'm not going to talk and get me my lawyer. And so they get convinced that, well, maybe I am guilty. Or, well, if I don't plead to this less crime, then they're going to convict me of this bigger crime so i'm gonna plead guilty to the you know these things happen all the time and so yes criminals do oftentimes to shorten the sentence right if they can if they admit to the crime they get a little they get a lighter sentence a lighter uh lighter uh, say a smoother trip through the system shall we say than for those who fight it they just do and so for that reason, people, especially poor people who live in the ghettos and who don't have resources to fall back on, will take a conviction in a three-month sentence rather than a possible, for a lesser crime, than a possible, you know, long-term sentence for a crime they didn't commit. They just well and they do all the time. And it's a, it's a sad human tragedy, but, you know, so just because someone, well, if someone admits to a crime, they are probably likely guilty, it doesn't necessarily mean they are. And they do. And, you know, innocent people admit to crimes they didn't commit, sadly, all the time. So it's not just criminals that will. I'm not saying you shouldn't have interrogations. It's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying we need to be more careful about how we go about that process. And that's off of my politicals. For the day. <laughs> All right, what's next? It's as political as I get here. <laughs> so, if y'all, if you happen to want, you can, you guys can search me and you can find my political leanings in other places if you want. But that's as close as I'm going to get to there. Okay, let's move on. Okay, here's one for you. My 11 year old son is getting interested in playing video games, but I don't want to introduce him to it yet. What is a safe age to let him start playing? when he's old enough that you think he can actually handle it, but you have to do it from his perspective, not yours. And it doesn't necessarily mean, look, I want to be clear here. You, if you can decide to never want him to play video games, and that was actually a perfectly acceptable decision for me. I would disagree with it, but it's well within the realm of a parental decision. And, you know, based upon modern world and all these kind of stuff. But let's face it, Zuckerberg doesn't allow he didn't allow his kids to use Facebook. So, you know, restricting what they do and on the internet and gaming and all of that is not an unreasonable concern. So first, I want to make sure everybody understands that it's not an unreasonable concern. Um, but at the same time, you have to prepare them to live in the world that exists for them in their future, not for you. And, you know, gaming and the uh, internet culture that surrounds it and the, um, it's not just the internet culture, the gaming culture, the culture that these children exist in is part of that. And they have to be able to engage in part of their culture. 
you can't keep them outside of it. It's like we used to watch that baseball documentary, right? And they used to ask about, should I allow my kids to go off and play baseball in the street? You know, they just want to run around. Shouldn't they be doing studying or something? And he'd asked his rabbi and his rabbi says, no, you have to let him go off and be part of, of society. You have to let them, you know, engage in the culture that, that they exist in. It has to, you have to be done. Otherwise they're, you know, they're going to be ostracized their entire lives. They're going to be outsiders their entire lives. And that's not good either. And it's not a fine line. So I can't tell you when it's okay. You have to figure that out. And quite frankly, if you've gotten to 11, that's pretty good, a pretty good run. And you're going to have to decide, you know, how comfortable you are, how comfortable he is. Start small, see what he's engaged in, play with him. Just because you're not interested in video games doesn't mean you shouldn't be interested in what your child is doing. If you if he was interested in baseball, would you take him to his baseball games and would you go watch him play baseball? If he's interested in gaming, you know, help him. You can teach him how to interact properly rather than becoming something he rebels against in three or four years. You know, that's, for my concern, is raising boys is not giving them something to rebel against. You, know, you can guide them without controlling them and they have less to rebel against. And so you don't have the problems of the 16, 17 year old who is, uh, what's the word you want to say? Uh, antisocial. So. Anyway, sorry, kind of rambled. All right, what's next? Do I get upset with her? My stepdaughter didn't allow me to walk her down the aisle or do the daughter dance. I am jealous when she danced with her dad and sat next to him in the dinner table. He sat with her and her husband. What do I tell her? Nothing. Nothing. Don't ruin her day. It's not about you. And, you know, as a step-parent, it's not your job to be that. You know, unless they ask you and I could, I could appreciate you feeling jealous and I can appreciate you being, you, you having, you know, the emotional hurt because it means you care, but you're going to have to take that care and point it and say, okay, but what she really needed this day, what she really needed from me was to support her decision. And it sounds like you did. You didn't say anything during the day. You, you kind of coped with it at, during that period of time. And now you're figuring out what to do, but there's nothing to do. You've already done the right thing, and that's all you can do. You know, you've done the right thing, and you put that in your heart. You put the hurt in your pocket, and you move on. And you know how to do it because you've had to do it before. You know, I feel for you. I really do. But it's what she needed. And ultimately, isn't that what you've done for her up to this point, is given her what she's needed? You've just done it again. Congratulations and thank you. Okay, what's next? Why is my re daughter resentful towards me? A year, a, a half, half a year ago, I made my eldest daughter, 14, give up her room to my brother, her uncle. She's had to sleep on the couch in, in her sister's room since. She just got a room back, but she still seems upset. 
because she's 14 and she's going to be upset. <laughs> She'll get over it. This this is one of those things that just time is going to... 14, they really... I really wanted my privacy. Yeah, and then she lost it. She had it and she lost it. She, so, you know, it felt like something was taken from her. And in a sense it was, but, you know, sometimes you have to sacrifice for family, right? It's We all have to do it. And so, you know, she'll get over it. There's nothing you can do. I mean, you can try to do some things to make it right. Say, hey, look, I know the last few months have been difficult for you. And, you know, take her on a shopping day or to paint her bedroom. Let her pick the color out for her bedroom. Paint her bedroom. Yeah. Yeah. Give her some kind of reward for sticking through the last few months. You know, show her some signal of appreciation that despite her unhappiness, she managed to get through it. Now that you guys are through it, you can kind of start to, you know, pull through. You know, but even if you don't, she'll eventually get over it. She's 14 or she'll completely rebel against it. But, you know, my guess is she'll get over it. Didn't sound like a rebellious person because she already would rebel and she's just upset. And as 14, you're an emotional basket case. So, of course, she's upset. <laughs> you know, it's perfectly reasonable for her to be upset. You know, sometimes there's nothing to do about being upset. You just have to be upset. And life goes on and you get over it, you know, but you can, you know, show her your appreciate, show her your appreciation for, you know, getting through the last few months that have been difficult. It's kind of where I would start. Okay. Is it wrong to not attend your ex-partner's children's father's funeral? I have no respect for him. He was a liar, cheat, and a thief. And honestly, I think it would ruin my reputation to stand there like a hypocrite pretending to have respect for him. Dude, I have no plans on attending. (laughs) Well, she, it was actually a woman who sent this. I I do happen to know. Um, It's... The only part of this, if you don't want to go to a funeral, you just don't go to a funeral. That's perfectly acceptable. It, it really is. <laughs> you know, it's, it's your choice. It's you your don't choice. have to. Yeah. But on the same time, no one's going to call you a hypocrite because you went to someone's funeral to support their child. No. As no, an emotional support. No one's going to call you a hypocrite. For that, you know, because you weren't there to, to show him respect. You were there showing support for the, you know, for other people. And so no one's. No one's going to do that. No one cares about whose funeral you attended. And so, so there's not that, but no, unless your child, right. Was it, it was child. Yeah. Yes. Unless Children's your, father. Yeah. Yeah. So unless your child needs you there for some reason, you know, maybe they need the emotional support. Maybe they need your emotional support. Then you don't have, there's no reason for you to have to go and you shouldn't feel guilty about not going. But if one of your child needs you there, then it's a different story. But, and, and don't worry about, being labeled a hypocrite because what you're there for is your child, not for the person, not for the funeral. So, you know, depending upon the exact circumstances, you're going to have to make a choice. And either choice is fine. But I could totally relate. Oh yeah. No one would, no one would think twice about you not attending. Sounds like a, you had a hard time. I don't think no one would think twice about either way. Tell you the truth, right? Either way. Either way. No one's going to think twice. Yeah. So just do what your children need. And if your children don't need you there, then do what you need. If your children need you there, then you do what you've done for your whole entire life and you step up for your children. Okay. 
Maria. How should a dad calmly react to his teenage daughter, ages 12 and 13, when she rudely tells both him and her mother to talk to the hand because she got grounded for talking back to them? I would take her phone until she changes her attitude. Well, for one, see, for me, that would never would have ended up happening because, one, I would have just laughed my ass off, and which would have destroyed anything because it's just been funny as hell. <laughs> I would have just found it amusing. But you think that something like that is going to have any impact on me at all. <laughs> you know, I don't take that kind of stuff personally. I don't take talking back personally. It's just them expressing themselves. And because they're children, they don't know how to do it appropriately yet. And so I don't, don't really judge them for it. So talk, the talking back thing doesn't actually bother me, which means it didn't happen very often. Because the only reason they do it is because it bothers you. And so if you don't set up the conditions for it to bother you, then they have no power over you. And so if they go talk to the hand, it's just a funny ass thing. It's the funniest thing. It's, you know, it's a, it's hilarious. It's not a power move. It's not a move to insult me or anything. It's just stupid and hilarious. <laughs> so, you know, so I don't know. Once you've gotten to that point, though, it's going to have to decide how actually important the things like back talking actually are. I'm a teenager. You know, do you actually want them to just, do you want to raise people who are just blindly accept what they're told? Or do you want to raise children who are question authority? You know, you're the authority. If they're not, if they're not willing to question you, they're never going to be willing to question the society. You have to make a choice. What do you want? Who do you want to raise? Do you want the easy route where they always do what you tell them? Or do you want the difficult route where you guide them? I don't know. I'm not saying one way is right or the other because raising children is difficult and who knows how it ends up. So I'm just saying there's more than one way to look at this. Okay. Well, yeah, that's why we both come on here because we have differing <laughs> opinions and it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, because we would have had, that's why we, that's why we didn't raise children together. So if, <laughs> that's why we came it together after. It would have been, but our child would have been beautiful. <gasps> Maybe, <laughs> but we would have been arguing with each other all the time. So, <laughs> all right, so what do you got? My mom and dad are not together. My dad pays child support. The only thing my mom does with the child support is using it for herself and for only bills and never does anything for me. Is she in the wrong? Well, one, when you say only f using it for herself, one, she pays bills and rent, and I'm, that's pretty much going to take up the whole child's Clothing, support. food. Yeah. What you're not counting on is you want extra stuff, and you think that child support is for stuff other than the normal routine stuff, and no, child support is by definition for the normal routine stuff. It's what it's for. By definition. And so you don't get anything extra from child support. You don't get bonuses from child support. You get your roof over your head, food in your stomach, and your electricity paid. That's what it's there for. You know, and if you're lucky, you get some left over for your education. You know, the question is, why are you expecting so much? You know, what makes you think that you should deserve more than you're getting look around you maybe your mother's struggling how much money does your mother have at the end of the month is she still living paycheck to paycheck after the child support or is she 
sitting on the couch eating bonbons. I somehow doubt it. She's sitting on the couch eating bonbons. She's probably out there working, getting you to school, you know, making sure all your daily routine stuff is taken care of. Show her some respect. Okay. Is it unethical to make a profit when dealing with family? This is becomes, again, when it's expectations. Is it ethical? Well, is it ethical to expect someone to take a loss when dealing with family? Is it, is it ethical to expect someone to work for free? You know, lots of us will go over and help out a friend and, and spend time, money and stuff to, to help somebody out. But not if they expect it. You know, this is a business. They still have a business to run. They still have expenses to pay. You know, why would you expect it? That's my question. Now, is it ethical to charge extra? Probably not. Most family members will probably give you a family discount if they can afford to. You know, and if they have an option, if they have the opportunity, if it's a small job, they may just come over and do it for nothing. But you can't expect it. They have bills to pay too, just like everybody else. So it really depends. You know, no, you should never expect anybody to do anything for less than they would do it otherwise. They might. And it's a great thing. We do it. People, human beings do it all the time. <laughs> you know, I run volunteer organizations. It doesn't work unless people volunteer their time and their money. Right. It just doesn't function. So, you know, it doesn't have to, you know, making a profit is not always the motivation, but you can't expect it. I can't expect people to give me their time or their money. What I can is ask them to do it and help support them when they do. And, you have to view this kind of thing as the same way. So I would change it the same way. Why would you expect someone to take less? Just because they're family. So. Okay. Last one. My dad keeps getting frustrated at me for my grades. I can't try any harder than I'm already trying because of mental health, which he knows about. What do I do? This is, this is a difficult one because I feel you. I spend, you know, like, you know, you always said, well, if you just applied yourself, right? And that's what they said. It I heard that all my life. If you just applied yourself, I can't apply myself any more than I'm applying myself. I don't know what you guys want from me. You, your educational environment doesn't work for me, right? Of course, in the 70s, we didn't know that, but we know that now. And so the, the thing is, we have to, you have to find or you have to convince your father to, to find you an educational environment that works for you if he wants you to have good grades. But there's also another thing that you need to discuss with your father. Good grades and having an education are not the same thing. Grades aren't necessarily a reflection of what you've learned. They're a reflection of you can pass a test or you can turn in your homework on time. So it's not the same thing. So if you're learning something, and this is how I, I dealt with my children through school. So it's just for me, as long as you were learning, I didn't care what their grades were. Because for me, it was the education that was important. Because once you get, no one asks you what your grade point average was in high school. No one cares. 
Never been asked for business or anything. Getting through college, getting into college, yes, okay. But nowadays with community college, online schools, and colleges don't even use like the SATs. and it's, None of that stuff is as relevant as it used to be. Precisely because we now know that the grades are themselves aren't actually a judge of what people know. But my suggestion is to talk to your father to help help him find a way to get you into an educational environment that can help you thrive. Because if you want good grades, the environment has to suit you. And that's the argument you're going to have to, that's the discussion argument you're going to have to have with your dad. So look, I know you want me to get good grades, but I can't in that environment. We know this. We, history has proven it. So can we find me a smaller school, find me a hybrid school, whatever it is, you know, whatever suits your needs. That's where we have to. That's where you're going to have to focus, because what your father wants is you to be educated. That's what he wants, and all he knows, because it's all he's been taught, is that the grades are a sign of what you've been educated. And so, if he's if he wants those good grades, then he has to put you in an environment where you can get those good grades. And you can't do that in the environment you're in, clearly. And it's not your effort. It's not your intelligence. It's the environment. It just is. And a lot of us with mental issues understand this. And we want to thank you for joining us. We can, you can always send us a, a love letter at love at late night love .us. <laughs> just gonna, They're love letters now, sorry, folks. They're just love letters because I call them that anyway. <laughs> you can visit love at, oh, there goes my chair. Love at late night love .us. Click the contact button. Send us a, send us your questions, your comments. We'll take, answer them on the air. You can find us on all your various social media outlets. And who knows? Go to our, go to our Facebook page and whatnot, and you'll soon see the videos and pictures of our crackhead cat because <laughs> he really is he runs around like a uh, i've got to stop doing that though i've got to change the nickname i call him in my head because otherwise he's going to end up being that for the rest of his life and that is just too weird no cracking yeah yeah no i've got to think of a different solution anyway um we are out of here as soon as i can find oh there it is as soon as i can find the button that says end session um, thank you for for me and lovey. Thank you for joining us, and we will. Um, oh, god darn it! Come on. The studio is reconfigured, and I have trouble finding it. Yeah, she's sitting there waving goodbye for a really long. It's the really longest goodbye of all time. Goodbye, good night, and please remember to love everybody. Good night.